Father, we praise you that our hope is alive and well. Our hope is a person whose name is Jesus. And thank you that it is Resurrection Sunday this morning as well. That every day that we awake to a new day, we awake to a day in which Jesus Christ is Lord. He's reigning on high. He is a risen Savior who meets with us today and lives within us as we trust in Him. And so, Father, we praise you for Jesus. And I would ask, Lord, that you would fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit as we study your Holy Word. Be our teacher, Lord. And I pray that we would see Jesus clearly and respond with hearts of praise and faith and obedience and submission to Christ. And Lord, we know we're not the only church in this community. So right now we pray for the other churches that are gathered. Lord, in this uh, island and in central Brevard County, throughout this area, Lord, we pray for churches to believe the Bible is the holy word of God, for pastors to be filled with the Holy Spirit and proclaim without apology the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And Lord, I pray specifically for Pastor Jonathan Key at First Baptist in the Atlantic. Lord, fill him with your spirit, God. May the people of God gathered in that church today Be filled with your spirit and be scattered by your grace on mission to make Jesus known this week. Bless your church, Father. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the gospel of Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. As you're turning to the scripture, just a, a quick question. Do you, do you remember anything about your first days of school? And I'm not just talking about that first day of kindergarten. I'm talking about any of your first days of school. Students, I'm sorry to already be talking about the first day of school and you haven't finished your last one for this year. But this week, my brother Travis and I were talking about the first day of his sophomore year of high school. It wasn't just his first day of school that year. It was his first day at a new high school he'd never attended before. He was pretty nervous because he didn't really know anybody at that school. So he got on the bus that first morning. He took the 30-minute ride with a load of kids that he didn't know and they didn't know him. And when the bus finally pulled up to the high school, everybody got off, of course, except Travis. The bus driver looked in that mirror that shows him what's going on behind him, and he saw this one lone high school student sitting by himself, and the bus driver said, what's the matter, son? Aren't you going to school today? To which my brother Travis replied, oh, I'm, I'm going to school. It's just, this isn't my school. Somehow, my brother had gotten on a bus that took him to the wrong high school the very first day of school. That's awesome. And I'm just telling that story as a good brother making my brother look stupid. That's what we do. Classic Travis. Anyhow, while every one of us have our own unique experiences and dynamics that we could tell about things that happened to us or things that were unique to us on the first days of our school adventures, there there are things that seem to be somewhat universal for all students. One thing that seems most students can relate to about their first day of school is 
the question mark that sort of hangs over all their new teachers. What, what will Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so be like? You've heard the rumors. You, you've talked to other students. Maybe they're a new teacher. You don't know what to expect in their class. How important is homework? How much will they assign? How important do they think lectures are or me taking notes or participating in group projects? Or how much do the teachers think I'm funny and want me to provide entertainment for the rest of the class? Maybe that was just a a me question. I don't know. So the reality is when we step into our first day of school, one of the first things that we want to learn about is what our teacher is like and what we then need to prioritize in their class. And that actually brings me to our next text in the study of the Gospel of Mark. We're still here at the very beginning of Christ's earthly ministry. And last week, we saw that Jesus has invited four men to follow him. Simon, that we know is Peter, his brother Andrew, James, and John. And for the next several years, and And I'm not just talking about years in our study of the Gospel of Mark at this pace, but the next several years in the life of these men, these guys, along with eight others, are going to be following Jesus. And they're following him as as their rabbi, their, their teacher. A rabbi would be a leader who wouldn't just... Uh, conduct class a few hours a day. He, he would be a, a teacher who would invite students to be a part of his life, to do life with him. And, and his lessons would not just be the ones that he would speak out loud. They would be the lessons that would be learned by watching him live and learning from his example. He would show them what life is supposed to be like. And that's who Jesus is to these men who are his disciples. He's their rabbi. He's their teacher. And of course, we know he's more than just a rabbi, but he's not less than one. He's leading them by example. He's showing them what the kingdom of God is really like, what God desires for his people. And what we find here at the very beginning of this gospel account of the life of Christ is a detailed description of A first day, in a sense. A first day with Jesus, or a typical day with Jesus as our teacher, as our example, as our rabbi, in a sense. And Mark shows us then what Jesus, our great God and teacher, prioritizes in his life. What he prioritizes in our lives as well. And so, with that in mind, let's jump into our text this morning and see what there is to learn on in a sense, our first full day in the school of Christ. Mark chapter 1, beginning verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. 
And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of God for us this morning. And I hope you noticed right there in verse 29, Mark references a synagogue. It's the synagogue where Jesus had started the day with his disciples. We saw that last week in verses 21 through 28. And I'll just remind you, a synagogue was a place where devout Jewish people could come and they would hear the Old Testament scriptures read out loud and then they would be explained or expounded upon by various rabbis. And because Jesus was a rabbi, he steps into the synagogue and that's exactly what he does. It's one of the first things we find him doing with his new disciples. He goes to a synagogue. He preaches from the scriptures. And last week we saw in verse 23 of that, while while he's in this synagogue, there's a, a man who's possessed by a demon who comes to him and Jesus casts that demon out of that man. And so just a really quick synopsis. The question becomes, what did Jesus do at the beginning of this first full day that Mark is recording in the life or in the school of Christ. Well, he preached the word of God and he cast out demons. Now, with that in mind, look what Mark says in verse 39 at the end of this section. He says this, and he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. You guys see what what Mark is doing here at the end of this section? He's letting us know that Jesus had lots of days that were exactly like his first full recorded day in the account of the life of Jesus and Mark. In other words, here's how we should take this. This day we're reading about today is a typical day in the earthly ministry of Christ. This day that we're going to be studying is what his disciples had come to expect as they learned from Jesus by his word and by his life. And just like we learned from our teachers and their example in our first days of school, Mark gives us insight into what Jesus valued. We see here what Jesus prioritized each and every day. We're going to see themes that Mark will expound on throughout the rest of our journey following Jesus through the gospel of Mark. And remember, as our example, as our teacher, Jesus, as God in the flesh, is helping us understand not only what he prioritizes and what he values, but what he wants us to prioritize and value as well. And so this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to see the priority of Christ in this typical day with Jesus in his ministry on the earth. And let me go ahead and give you the big idea that I see in this passage, and we'll just break it down one bit at a time, and I'll show you where I get this from our text. Here's the big idea for this morning. As our perfect teacher and example, Jesus prioritized God's plan, prayer, his preaching, and people. Isn't it awesome that they all started with P? It's amazing how the word just laid it out like that. Jesus prioritized. And, and, and if I were rewriting this on the screens, I'd probably say Jesus prioritizes. 
He, he doesn't just prioritize it during his earthly ministry. He prioritizes it right now. He prioritizes God's plan, prayer, his preaching, and people. So let's now walk through our text a little bit at a time, and let me show you those individual priorities that we see in the daily life of Jesus. Number one, Jesus prioritizes God's plan. Look back at verse 34. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, And cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Okay, stop right there. This is an interesting dynamic that we'll actually see Mark highlighting all throughout this gospel account. We also, we've already seen it actually. Back in verse 25, if you'll remember, when Jesus encounters that demon-possessed man in the synagogue, Jesus speaks to the demon. And the demon is saying openly that, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And Jesus speaks to that demon and makes him be silent. He says, you're not permitted to speak my name. You're not permitted to reveal my identity. And then we find here in our text that he doesn't allow any of those demonic forces to proclaim or reveal his identity. And that begs the question, what's going on here? Like what, is, what is Jesus doing that's causing him to make sure these demonic forces aren't saying who he is? Well, listen, I think there are a lot of dynamics that we could talk about here. But for the sake of time, I just want to show you two things that I firmly believe are at play that are causing Jesus to stifle these demons, and we'll later see in just a second, even people from publicly broadcasting who he is. But the first one is this. God's plan was for Christ's followers to tell this world about Jesus, not the spiritual forces of darkness. We just read this last week. Mark 1.17 says this, and Jesus said to them, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. He sees his followers, his disciples. He says, you will be the influence I use to spread my kingdom or to gather others into my kingdom as they hear about me. You'll be the fishers of men, not the spiritual forces of darkness. You're my chosen vessels. That's God's plan. Even more in Acts 1.8, you find Jesus saying this to these same disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here, church, God's plan is to make the truth of Jesus known through gospel-filled, Holy Spirit-empowered followers of Christ. We are God's plan in that sense. And here's what I want us to just focus on this morning. In keeping with God's plan, Jesus silences the demons that are speaking openly about his identity because God's plan isn't for the news about Jesus to be spread by demons. There's another reason, though, that's in addition to the first. Not only is God's plan for Christ's followers to tell the world about Jesus, God's plan for Jesus had a specific trajectory and timetable. Here's what I mean. The trajectory of Christ's life was a part of God's plan. From the very beginning, God's desire and plan was for Jesus to come to this world and die on the cross for our sins. And so his earthly ministry had a trajectory He was going somewhere. He was going toward the cross of Calvary. 
But at the same time that God had that plan, the people of Israel had been awaiting for their promised Messiah to come, to be a king who would, who would, who would launch a vast army to do battle against political and governmental powers and basically usher in the golden age of Israel. And Jesus knows that those crowds of people are just ready for the King Messiah to come and do battle with Rome. And he knows that these people are like dry kindling and one little, one little spark will set them ablaze. You even find over and again them getting ahead of Jesus. Even in our text, you find words spreading like wildfire. He can't in- exit the house We'll find later in this this chapter, he can't even enter a city because the crowds are so worked up here at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus knows that if word spreads throughout Israel that he is the King Messiah, people will get ahead of Jesus and God's plan. They'll want to crown him King of Israel and maybe form an army to overthrow Rome. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what almost happened. John chapter 6 verse 15 says this, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Do you see what's happening? Jesus is being careful to fulfill the Father's plan in the Father's time. And the Father's plan was this. Jesus would come to this earth and he would go to Calvary and die on a cross before he would assume the throne of his father David in Israel at his second coming. So for lack of a better word, Jesus is managing the expectations of these crowds who, yes, they need to know who Jesus is. They need to know he's Messiah and the chosen one of God, but they also need to find out in a way that's not going to sidetrack Jesus' mission to the cross. And so that's why not only did Jesus forbade the demons from openly telling people about his identity, he also told people that he healed or touched or influenced not to say anything to anyone. Look down at the end of chapter one, you see it here. Mark 1, 43 through 44 says this, and Jesus sternly charged him, a leper who was just healed, And sent him away at once, said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. You'll see this all throughout Mark. I felt like it was important to address it here at the beginning. Because God the Father had a plan for the life of Christ the Son, We find Jesus over and over and over again stifling the spread of his identity. One, because God's plan was that that would not be made known through demonic forces and dark spirits, but through the Holy Spirit filling followers of Jesus. And at the same time, his life was on a trajectory and a timetable to go to the cross at just the right moment. And because of that, Jesus prioritizes God's plan and makes it a centerpiece to his life and ministry. And here's the point. That's how Jesus wants to live in you. He wants you, by his grace, to prioritize God's plan in your life. 
And we talked about this again a little bit last week, and there's going to be a lot of connecting points throughout these weeks. We talked about obedience and submission as a part of us submitting to the plan of God. And certainly we are called to submit to God's plan by saying, God, what do you want for my life? How am I called to obey and submit to you? But let me just ask that question in a bit of a different way to see whether your heart reflects Christ and you prioritize God's plan. Let me just ask you this. How do you respond when things don't go your way? Would you lean over and ask your spouse, how do I respond when things don't go my way? Anybody ever have a life where things don't quite go your way? Anybody? 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 I encourage you to drive home on Courtney. Things won't go your way today. Do you, when life doesn't go your way, trust God's plan or hit the panic button? Do do you say, Father, I know what I want and I'm not getting what I want. I know what this world tells me I should want and I'm not getting what this world tells me should want. God, Father, Lord, what I really want is to want what you want more than what I want. Guys, a, a day in the life of Christ teaches us something about Jesus and how Jesus lives in us, and it's this. Jesus prioritizes the plan of God, and that's the kind of life he wants to empower in you. And the second thing we see is this. Jesus prioritizes prayer. Look at verse 35. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place And there he prayed. Before Jesus even starts the day, and this is the first glimpse we get into the start of a day in the life of Jesus, what we find is that he's in the presence of God the Father before it's even light out. And something to keep in mind here is what we saw in Philippians chapter 2, and it's this. It's that when Jesus came to earth, he came to earth to live as a man. That even though Jesus is God and has always been God and always will be God, Philippians 2 taught us that Jesus willingly laid aside certain divine rights and dynamics he had as God in order to live and be fully human on this earth. And as we keep that in mind, we need to just think, Jesus then, as a man, operated the way that we are supposed to operate as people as well. He depended on God's power and not his own. Listen to the words of Christ from John chapter 5. He says this in verse 19 of John 5, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And then in verse 30, he says this, I can do nothing on my own. That's just amazing, isn't it? Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, After having willingly laid aside certain divine rights and prerogatives he has as the eternal son of God, came to this earth to live as a man in a way that he would say, I can do nothing on my own. So he prayed. And he prayed for the power of God the Father through the work of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask 
him. The Holy Spirit who filled the life of Jesus Christ, enabling the power of God to flow through Jesus mysteriously as a man is the same power, Jesus says, that is available to us if we will if we will seek the face of God in prayer. Let me, let me encourage you to do this. Would you think about some of the hard things that you're facing in your life? Anybody in the room facing hard things? Anybody at all? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? I don't know. I'm, I'm facing a few hard things in my life. Let me ask you this. And sometimes I daydream certain things like this. I don't know if you've ever done this. How much do you have a meeting coming up or you have a conversation you need to have? You have a hard dynamic and you just wished you could send somebody else to the meeting you ever done that, anybody? No one but me has done Okay, well, there we go. Well, here's the story. I've had that on multiple occasions. Man, I just wish somebody else could go into that meeting. I wish somebody else could have that conversation. I wish somebody else could make that decision or make that tough call with an angry customer, a rebellious child, a difficult classmate, something, something like that. Can you imagine if you could send somebody else? Like, imagine even more than that. What would it be like if you had the ability, if you had the ability in all of those hard things you're facing to send Jesus into those meetings for you? Hey, call me when when you get out. I'd like to know how it goes, right? (laughs) Do you realize that you can have exactly that? that? That's the promise of the gospel That's what Jesus is pointing to when he says, the Father will give the Spirit's power to those who ask him in prayer. Jesus is saying the same power that enabled the very life of Christ on this earth is literally yours for the asking if you will seek the face of of God in prayer. So let me just ask you this. How would you prioritize prayer if you truly believed that the life of Jesus was yours for the asking? Are you praying with that kind of priority? Listen, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to do something this week. I want to encourage you to prioritize plan by making a prayer. Some of us just need the practical step to take into. Why don't you make a plan to pray this week? Why don't you put it on your calendar? Why don't you set time aside and and maybe even call it an appointment? Maybe there's an hour that you could have a a, a time alone with God to be in his presence. What would it look like if you prioritized prayer to the place you actually planned on praying this week? And when you did, what if you prayed for the fullness of the Holy Spirit's power in your life so that the the life of Jesus Christ would flow through you. Guys, a day in the life of Jesus teaches us that Jesus prioritizes prayer, and that's the kind of life Christ wants to empower in you. Number three, Jesus not only prioritized God's plan and prayer, Jesus prioritizes his preaching. Look at verse 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. What's this about? Well, everyone wants to be healed. Everyone wants a miracle. You've got all of these people who are bringing their loved ones, wanting Jesus to touch them and heal them. And certainly Jesus does touch and heal people. But here's what he says, verse 38. And he said to them, well, let's go on to the next towns 
that I might preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Guys, this is a really insightful word for us about the ministry and the life of Christ. The primary day-to-day ministry of Jesus on this earth was to preach the word of God. It's in Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says this, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It's the word of Christ preserved for us in the word of God that builds and establishes our faith. Jesus, he's in the synagogue. That means he's teaching the Old Testament scriptures. And then as he's teaching, his teaching is the foundation for the New Testament. So when we talk about the preaching of Christ, we're talking about the whole Old Testament and the New Testament that was being made, being written, being developed through the teaching and preaching of Jesus. Here's what that means for us. Because Jesus prioritized his preaching, we should prioritize his preaching. And if we are going to prioritize the preaching of Jesus like Jesus did, then we have to prioritize the whole Bible as the word of God. And listen to me, church. There is an all-out assault on the authority of the Bible as the very word of God. And that assault isn't just coming from outside Christianity. It's coming from the pulpits of some of the largest churches in our nation. Recently, I've been hearing and seeing sermon after sermon of well-known pastors who are preaching messages that are diminishing the authority and validity of the Bible of the Word of God. This last week, I watched an entire sermon I watched it through a couple of times of a known pastor. His name is Andy Stanley. He pastors one of the largest churches in America. They have 40,000 people in their weekly attendance. And in the sermon that Pastor Stanley preaches, he discusses the fact that the Bible is not a foundation for our faith. He actually calls this version of Christianity that says, quote, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He calls that a, 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 a variation of the version of Christianity that says the Bible says it and that settles it. And he says that version of Christianity is a house of cards because apparently in his view, the Bible is filled with errors and historical inaccuracies. And the effect of that kind of preaching is that it owed the confidence of the people of God in the Bible as the word of God. In that sermon, he goes on to say that the authority is really just the eyewitness accounts of those early disciples like Peter And then he has an imaginary conversation. He says, if a person from the future came to Peter and sat down with him and said, Peter, what about all the science that disproves the Old Testament? What about all of the new discoveries where there are archaeologists that pretty much do not believe that there was an exodus from Egypt or that the walls of Jericho came down? What, what, What do you think about that and how that erodes the veracity of the Old Testament? And it's imaginary conversation. He says, well, I think Peter would say, well, I don't know about all that. I don't, that doesn't matter. It's not the reason I believe. 
It's not the foundation of my faith. You see, I, I, I saw my friend live, and I saw my friend die, and I saw my friend rise again. Here's the problem with that. You can have an imaginary conversation with the apostle Peter all you want, but Peter actually told us what he thinks about that. In 1 Peter, or 2 Peter chapter 1, he's recalling the fact that he is an eyewitness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But listen to what he says in comparison to him being an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 19, he says this, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well. And he's saying more fully confirmed than even us as eyewitnesses to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture... You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures of God and those Scriptures that are being written by the apostles as he writes this, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Friend, the Bible is the very word of God, Amen. written by men, <laughs> written by men who were moved by the Holy Spirit. It is the authority of life and practice, and an eyewitness to the resurrection wrote a book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and said, you have something more authoritative than even my eyewitness account, and it is the holy word of God. And he says, you would do well to pay attention to it, like a lamp shining in a dark world. And students, I say this for you because you're going to leave this church one day and go to college. You'll be pursuing communities of believers. You'll be looking for a church family to call your own. Beware that every church does not preach that the Bible is the word of God. And seek by God's grace a place that lifts high the scriptures as the holy word of God. You don't need to know what I think. I'm just a man. You need to know what God says. And what God says is found in this book, the Bible. Yes. Listen, yes. I, I pray, I pray that it will never be said of this church or any of our pastors, that we have ever done anything less than prioritize the word of Jesus Christ preserved for us in the inspired word of God, the Bible. Jesus loves us, this we know, for the Bible tells us so. I got another song I'll add to it. It's a, it's a big hit. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the word for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, Bible. I thought that gets you going. So let me give you this. There's nothing but a charade in this room. If we say 
that we prioritize the word of God in our pulpits and we don't prioritize the word of God in our day-to-day lives. It's a charade. So the question becomes, will you be content to clap in a room for a man who says we prioritize the word of God and not wake up tomorrow morning and prioritize the word of God in your life? A day in the life of Jesus teaches us that he prioritized the word of Christ preserved in the holy word of God. And that's the kind of life Jesus desires to empower in you. Are you reading? Are you studying? Are you meditating? Are you praying? Are you believing? Are you obeying the Bible as the word of God? And last but not least, as we close, Jesus prioritizes people. Now, this is really just a launching point, so I'm not going to spend any time really here, but I want you to see that in this text, we have a springboard to the ministry of Christ, and it's a ministry that Jesus prioritizes people over and over and over again. Look at verse 30. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Do you see this? Jesus' day is filled with broken, needy people. He spends all day long ministering to people. He goes to Peter's house for rest at night. And what does he get when he walks in the door? Peter's family comes and says, we got a sick person. Can you do something about it? He heals Peter's mother-in-law. No sooner has she been healed and sunset comes than the whole town hears what Jesus is doing. And they grab every sick person they know and they carry them to the place where Jesus is. He spends late into the night healing and touching and caring for individuals. Why? Why? Why does he do that? Because they're not a bother to him because they're not an inconvenience to him because they are a priority to him broken hurting people are a priority of Jesus just skip right down look at the next thing that Mark does in Mark 1 verse 40 after the text we read he says a leper came to him imploring him and and kneeling said to him if you will you can make me clean moved with pity He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Do you see this? Lepers are outcasts. They're unclean. The law demanded that they avoid people and that people avoid them. But this leper approaches Jesus and Jesus doesn't run away. He reaches out. He touches him. Why? Because he had pity on him. He's tired. He's ministered fully the day before. He woke up early and had stayed up late. And this man that no one would have expected because of the law to approach him came and approached him. And how does Jesus respond? He has compassion. He has pity. Why? Because Jesus cares for people. He didn't just love people in general. He loved them as individuals. He loves you. He loves me. This we know, for the Bible tells us so. We cover that. And his compassionate love would not only lead him to the cross where he would die 
as a payment for your sin and mine, his compassionate love would stir him to touch and heal and care for broken, hurting people all along the way. He wasn't so consumed with his task that he ignored the people on the road. My question is this, what does that kind of life look like as Christ lives in you today? Are you so consumed with your tasks that you walk right by the people who are hurting along the road? Are you open? Are you willing to be used by Christ as he lives in you to be inconvenienced, to be tired, to be on your way to your next job and to have a person in need right there in front of you. Listen, a day in the life of Jesus reminds us that Christ prioritized people, broken, hurting people that were met with a heart of compassion and that's the kind of life he desires to empower in you. So as we go, let's go with Jesus. Let's follow Christ into a day where we prioritize The plan of God, not ours. Prayer for his power, not our own. The preaching of Christ in the word of God and the people Jesus died to save who will meet you along the way. And as we do that, we need to remember that's why we need Jesus. You can't live like Jesus in your own power. That's why you need Jesus. And you don't just need Jesus. You have him as you trust in him as you depend on him, as you turn to Christ as Lord and Savior and God. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Father, we ask you to stir our hearts to love Jesus and see him for who he is, that his heart would be our heart, that we would prioritize and value what Jesus prioritizes and values. Regard us, I pray, from every every version of so-called Christianity that would distort the truth about Jesus and us in Christ. Guard us from a version of Christianity that would call us to roll up our sleeves and act like Christians in our own power. Lord, help us to not be those people, but to rely on the Spirit of God to enable the life of Christ in us. Lord, I pray for those who've never been born again. I pray that this would be the day that they would be saved. Stir our hearts to trust in Christ and to follow him along life's way. It's in Jesus' name we pray.